This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Tuesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 97 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me as always is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Uh, well, thank you. Five star week in the old soccer football gimmick. Some uh, very, very good results for Scotland, of course. Still bathing in Rodri tears. And then Aberdeen completely complete the set on Saturday with a, well, we'll go into the game. Very simple, let's say it was not a spectacle of the beautiful game, but all the mattered was the three points, so ready to go. Absolutely. Graham's not here this week, he's got a well-earned break on the islands, but we're still going to plough on in a week that saw Rodri's tears, Scott McTominay become your granny's favourite midfielder, an outrageous ending to the women's Glasgow derby on Monday night, and that saw our both coach, John Young, give the watching public what they wanted to see as he broke out the double glasses once more prime time on Friday night. It is another fairly busy episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at the week that's been as Barry Robson is confirmed as the Dons interim manager until the end of the season. We'll look back at our 1-0 win in Perth on Saturday afternoon as the Dons close the gap on Hearts in third to just the one singular point. We check in with the young team, the Quines, and our loanies in Lone Watch, and there's a new entrant this week. And after the break, we preview the visits of Kilmarnock to Pataudry on Saturday as the Dons look to continue to build our momentum heading in to the split. But first, before we get onto the game, the big news of the week coming out of AB24, coming on Wednesday after having been trailed for a big chunk of the uh, early part of the week in the media, Wednesday afternoon brought with it the news that Barry Robson and Steve Agnew had agreed to continue in interim charge initially until the end of the current season. Dave Cormack intimating that, as had been widely suspected and publicised, four interviews had taken place the prior week, including one with Barry. The unanimous view of the football monitoring board, plus Alan Burrows, was that Barry should continue in situ until the end of the season. This appears to have been driven by a desire to maintain momentum and apparently in recognition of the high standards and energy of the first team squad that have been instilled by Robson and Agnew so far. So after weeks and weeks of speculation, this is where we're at. Your thoughts, Gav, do you now acknowledge your interim chief? I acknowledge Barry Robson as my undisputed Aberdeen first team manager. Well, you say undisputed till the end of the season. You've been advocating for Robson to get the job now for a little while. Yes, um, I have. It would now appear to be his to lose, you'd have to think. 
I mean, just to take a step back, when you go to the statement, because they did mention that the football monitoring board are still in place. That is a that is a stable that has not disbanded, despite Yet. the uh, ridicule and mockery uh, off the back of that term. But as you say, it's football monitoring plus Alan Burrows. So what does Alan need to do to get himself within the group? What kind of initiations does he need? Does it like? Does he still need to go through the paddling of the swollen ass, as the as, as Homer has to in the in the old stone cutters? I reckon, to, I reckon he has to turn heel on Kev McIver, the finance director. They'll set him up in the room and he has to just, you know, pop up steel chair at the back. Yeah, pop up power, obviously. Yes, definitely. On the, on the old table. Um, listen, I think it's the most um, logical solution to this, um, this particular issue. I think By Robson has done a very, very, very good job, um, even ahead of the St. Johnston game. That's now five wins in the last six, uh, five wins and seven in total. Let's be honest, the two defeats, that one of them is away at Celtic and the other one is a anomaly in that McCrory was sent off after you know, three, four minutes and then Curtis Main, you know, comes up with a goal that no one in the world would ever bet Curtis Main capable of scoring. So I think that what you can look at is that the team are very much clearly playing for Byron Robson. He's proven himself to be a very adaptable coach. And most importantly, he's getting the results that we need to give ourselves a chance of finishing in third place. I think to bring anyone else in from outside would be an undue risk um, because there's always going to be a bedding in period for any new coach coming in, especially someone who's likely coming out from out with Scotland. And then I think the stakes are too high as far as, you know, the the reward that is on offer of Aberdeen can finish in third place, you know, and it takes away the the guaranteed money from Hearts. It gives us that money. It, you know, lets us shop in a different, in a different market with the new players that are coming in. And it gives us maybe an, an ability to incentivize those that are here who are maybe looking elsewhere to say, let's have one more year at Aberdeen. You're going to play in Europe. You're going to, you know, have even, the places have an even bigger uh, shop window to go and then progress your career on board by Robson. Excellent job. I'm happy with us. In the interest of balance, I suppose, Graham uh, can't be with us tonight, um, but he's been probably on the other side of this coin, I think, for the last couple of weeks. So I did ask Graham just to haul himself out of his bed on the islands today just to give us his thoughts. And he's he's still a little bit different in this one. You know, his, his, his exact message was he finds the whole situation to be a bit strange. Didn't think he was going to be retained as if he would have been, it would have been announced a long time beforehand. The club knows all about him, what he's like as a coach. The recent announcement that he will be kept on, in inverted commas, on initially to the end of the season is also a bit strange. It feels to Graham like that the club has no managerial shortlist or they're unable to attract the preferred candidate. This is really poor considering the writing was on the wall for Goodwin before he was sacked. He genuinely thinks the board's got lucky with the results Robson's been getting. What would they have done if the results hadn't picked up? I wonder who the panic appointment would have been. Neil Lennon, obviously. Um, it looks like it's going to work out for the board in the short term, but I'm not sure they have a plan for the future. And with the number of loan players in the squad and the requirement to appoint a manager, it's going to be a tough summer. And I guess that is one of those, isn't it? It begs a whole number of questions again this week now. Um, we're at where we're at. And I think people shouldn't confuse either questioning the reasons why a decision has been made with some sort of like anti-Barry Robson agenda. I think 
the three of us, Graham included, who's not convinced by this, but wants to see Barry Robson be a success for obvious reasons, because if Barry Robson's a success, then the club are being successful at that point. And listen, don't get me wrong, I would love to see this work out for Barry Robson. Uh, an Aberdeenshire loon from the fair town of Inverurie. It would be a great story if he was able to come in and, and really make this work and, and bring us back towards the top echelons of Scottish football again. But it does, it's interesting, you know, it, with the interviews last week, did Barry come across the best of the four? It's entirely possible that is what's happened. Um, is there potentially someone there we really want, but he won't be available until the summer, for argument's sake? On one hand, I can see exactly why the board have gone the way they've gone. Um, the results have picked up, and we do have that momentum now going in towards the split. The way that results and the way that form is running at the moment in the league, we're probably becoming possibly favourites to finish third at this moment in time now as well. Um, you're right, Gav, in the sense that potentially upsetting that jeopardises that opportunity to get ourselves back into Europe, which let's not be let's not be churlish about. The day that Jim Goodwin was having to light with the advertising hoardings at Easter Road, I think if you told any of us that we would be within a shouting chance of a European spot, not just at the end of the season, but for it to have happened this quickly, the turnaround, would have all bitten your hand off for it. So I can see the rationale for all of that. I am still very intrigued to see how this is going to work in terms of whether or not... Is it a case now for Barry Robson, if he finishes in the European spots, so let's just say third or fourth for argument's sake, that he will then have the job full-time? I don't think there can be a better job interview than by Robson actually just simply delivering for the team um, on the pitch and in the league table. I think at that point, if we were to finish third place, I don't see how you can't give it to him. What you're doing then is, you know, you're basically turning your back on someone who's proven himself capable in a really difficult situation of turning Aberdeen around and making us the third best team in the country. And you're taking a gamble on an unknown quantity in that sense. And what's also encouraging is that um, it was reported in the Press and Journal, possibly 24 hours after the announcement was made, that Steve Agnew has made himself, according to the Press and Journal, open to staying beyond the summer if Barry Robson is in fact the manager uh, going forward. Of course, we've also now appointed Liam Fox to the coaching staff. It feels like we're putting a lot of things in place for Barry Robson to be the long-term manager. I don't think I can think of any other club that has given an interim coach the sort of number of external mm -hmm. appointments. It's very much always the case you have to just like work with what you have. So we're giving him the tools he needs, why I assume he's asked for. There's clearly a lot of faith there. Also, just I'm personally happy because it just puts to bed all the nonsense that I've had to experience the last two couple of months of, you know, stranger appears in Aberdeen director's box who is this guy is that Ricardo Rodriguez even though he looks nothing like Ricardo Rodriguez <laughs> all the rumour and innuendo about people who think who's you know dad's brother next door neighbour who could have been a footballer if he didn't like you know get addicted to MD 2020 it's just it's been a lot of you know speculation and distraction now we know where we stand we can just focus on getting through to the end of the season and finishing as high up the table as we possibly can. Is the only concern around this setup now, though, about persuading summer targets from a recruitment perspective um, that Aberdeen's the place for them to come to? Because we will we will be talking... Don't care what anyone says, and people will do the whole, oh, they can't talk to people until they're out of contract or until you've agreed to transfer fee with their club. 
that's a load of nonsense. We will be talking to players right now who are out of contract in the summer, who are potentially under contract at clubs looking for moves. Does it make it that little bit harder, potentially? And I know that there's the setup there that means that a lot of the recruitment work can be done in the background, but does it still make it just that little bit harder to try and pull a signing over the line if you still can't 100% cast and guarantee to that individual who is going to be in the dugout? Um, I don't know per se, especially at our level, how much the identity of the manager or the coach plays a part in a player's thinking when it comes to signing for a club like Aberdeen. You don't think so? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I think that's maybe more something... I, I mean, for example, I don't think someone signs for Hibs because Lee Johnson's the manager. And well, I'm not really. sure that really <laughs> happens uh, at Aberdeen either. Maybe, I could be wrong. I could be wrong with that, but... The only reason I'm saying it is because especially, I think that... I'm, Well, I'm thinking especially within the markets that we're operating in. I don't think, like, you know... I don't think a Boyan Miofsky really knew much about Jim Goodwin when we were going for him. And no, you're right about that. He didn't know about Jim Goodwin, but Miofsky and Ramadani both said that it was conversations with Goodwin that helped persuade them to come here. So I don't want to, like, you know, and maybe they're just saying that when they come in the door because they're new new manager and all that type of stuff. But I, I guess it, but I, I actually think it's maybe more pertinent if you are a player coming from outside the country that if you're a, if you're a Ramadan, if you're a Miofsky or whatever, that type of player you're putting a lot of faith in that decision to make a move to a different country. You want to know you're going to play, for example. You want to know you're going to be part of that manager's thinking. If you're then being told, well, this is the guy in charge right now, and he maybe sees something for you, but I couldn't actually guarantee he'll be the boy. And are, you going to, are you going to bet your career a move like that, where you might be tied up on a deal for three or four years to come in and find that a manager's not, no longer there and you might not feature? Well, the good thing with this is that, for one thing, our, our scouting uh, department should just be, you know, scouring the globe for hmm. numerous possibilities in every single position that we not even feel we need to, but this should just be like succession planning. So every position should be getting covered within the recruitment strategy. And then, you know, typically the markets we're going to be operating in, we're going to be talking like end of June when players' contracts are coming up and they finally make the decision, they weigh up all their options beyond that permanent transfers you know we're not going to do that without having a manager in place i don't think we're really going to be looking at that right now because we don't really know what our budget's going to be we don't know if we're going to have that guaranteed europa conference league money for example so i don't think it's necessarily as as pertinent as it could as it would be maybe in times gone by when third place didn't necessarily mean as much in terms of the financial reward so I get, I get the point. I get the idea of long-term planning, but you know, we came, we had long-term planning last summer, and it's very, very quickly unravelled. So um, it's you have to be adaptable. You have to move with what's happening. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, Bad Robson is by far and away the best option to get us through to the end of the season. And yeah, like I say, if he gets third place in May, give him the full-time gig, and that's then you ramp up the recruitment. It is a little bit of a double-edged sword though, this one, isn't it? Because whilst, you know, on the face of it at the moment, as I said earlier on, the form, the momentum is very much with Aberdeen now in this in this race for third. It could still go horribly wrong between now and the end of the season. We could still end up, you know, missing out on a European spot. You have then put your eggs in that Robson basket to that, that perspective, haven't you? Um, it becomes harder to... I think it becomes harder to... I, I think given the scale of the summer rebuild that we need to do, 
it becomes high risk strategy that if it doesn't work between now and the end of the season and you have to then bring in a new manager, that's a massive ask for a new man coming in the door at that point, isn't it? And vice versa. If a new man comes in and it goes to shit, we'll all be in in a month's time. We'll all be saying, well, why did we change a winning formula? I guess the flip side to that though would be, you would look at that as a long-term strategy that, okay, he's going to come in and he's going to get some time to get his, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but that could be a man coming in and looking at things for the next eight games, figuring out who amongst the squad he wants to keep on the basis that really this this season's a bit of a write-off. I think it's a bit of an I think we found ourselves in a bit of an odd situation, don't you think, the board? They've kind of let the in a way, they've let the recruitment process run too long. That they've found themselves in a position where it's very hard not to give it to Robson. To well, you know what? What I would have hated for is the board to have gone ahead and said, listen, we just need to recruit someone now because mm-hmm. we've let this go on so long and let, you know, pride get in their way. Um, I mean, that point about, you know, uh, no, no, the season's like, it's it's not. If anyone came in now with the mentality of the season's a write-off, then and that's... I- I'm not saying that's, that's that, I'm not saying that's how it would be. I'm just saying that that could be a, a point of view. Nah, the, the, the stakes are too high for someone to be coming in and sussing out his best yeah. eleven over the space of the next eight games. I agree with that. Now, I think I think the best solution to these the problem we have right now is probably Robson to end the season. I just think that the club have backed themselves into a bit of a corner with it. That's all. Well, also we don't know. I mean, you know, with this chat of the the interviews that went on with these four candidates, Robson included. We don't know what, what, what went on with the discussions with the other three, if there are parameters within the job that they were not willing to to budge on, if they wanted to bring in their own coaching staff. It, it could also be entirely possible that Robson performed the best in the interviews. And that would not surprise me at all as well. And then he's got the bonus factor of Agnew yeah. saying he wants to stay. Yeah, which is a big turn up for the books in fairness at the moment. That appears to be the case. So... Also, I saw Steve Agnew in my, in my place of work today. He must be like living out of a suitcase because he was wearing his Don's gear. <laughs> he probably is, to be fair. He's, he's, probably got, he's, probably, he's probably got two sets of Don's <laughs> apparel that he switches. No, he's, got, he's got one, but he's just borrowing Scott Anderson's. <laughs> um, I, think, I think Scott Anderson's a little bit smaller than him. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one. Um, now, it, it really is, I think, just to see where we end up going, how the rest of the season pans out. Um Robson obviously picked up Manager of the Month award from March as well, um, which I'm not going to say it skewed things, but it would have been quite, it would have been classic Aberdeen for us to have appointed like a new manager the day before. And then here's the guy and he's just picked up Manager of the Month. I guess, and you touched on it earlier on, um, obviously the fact that there appears to have been a shift in the mindset with regards to Steve Agnew, that he might be willing to stay on a more long-term basis. Um I think in another sign as well that things something more permanent may be afoot, providing all goes well. Robson also allowed to bolster his coaching setup with the um, acquisition of Liam Fox. He recently of the Dundee area as a first team coach with a role as well to help support young player development via the pathways to the first team. So I mean, I, I, when this first when this news first broke last week, I think there was a lot of Aberdeen fans losing their shit about this. Um, Never. Yeah, I know. Imagine that. Um, on the face of it, potentially again, a, a maybe a bit of smart recruitment by the club. Fox clearly struggled big time as manager at United. That's plain to see. But um, he does appear to come across as being a very, very well respected um, and admired coach within the Scottish game, and certainly with a big focus on the youth pathway stuff. So this this might be quite a acute piece of recruitment by us as well. A number of better more experienced managers will be undone 
by the charlatans that exist within the Dungeonator squad than uh, than Liam Fox. Um, when you, especially when you consider the playing the player power that appears to exist at Tanadice. Um, listen, under Glass, we were critical of that his coaching staff didn't really contain any massively relevant coaching experience to the Scottish game. Under Goodwin, we were critical that he seemed it seemed just a one man show and he didn't have enough um, opinions around him. Like I say, Liam Fox has experience at Livingston, experience at Hearts, experience as a coach at Dundee before he became a manager. Let's be honest about it. They weren't great, but Dundee United uh, under Courts and under Fox, they finished higher than Aberdeen did last year. He is a respected coach. He might not be a manager, and that's how it works sometimes. Um, but he is someone who's come in. Clearly that Barry Robson's identified. It also sounds like that will allow the likes of Stuart Duff and... Forgive me, I forget the other guy that's been helping with the under 18s. Robbie Hederman. Robbie Hederman. It allows them, by the sounds of it, to like resume their day-to-day roles. And Liam Fox is gonna have more of a say in that. It sounds like a really a shrewd. I think Duffer's gonna get the full-time under 18s gig, to be honest. I think that's what's gonna happen there. But there we go. Either way, it sounds like it's a really shrewd acquisition. And yeah, it just gets a different voice, a different opinion on the on the touchline that can maybe see something that Bay Robson doesn't see or Steve Agnew doesn't see. I've got no issue with it. The last time we hired someone from United who had a bit of a disaster there, turned out to be okay. So let's hope this is uh, the same. That, of course, is your favourite, Lee Miller. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking managerial-wise. That's fine. Um, I was like, that was Craig Brewster, I think. Um, <laughs> worked out. It did work out. It worked all right. Yes, absolutely. So there we go. We'll move on to, to yesterday. I think that's enough on that. Yes, absolutely. We've got a dandy by Robson. St. Johnson nil, Aberdeen won Saturday the 1st of April 2023 at McDermott Park. The SPFL Premiership, Gav is just shaking his head and I think just trying to forget that 90 minutes. But we're going to rattle back through it again, Gav. We're going to relive it. Yeah, let's uh, let's go for it. I've just about, if, if you need a cure for insomnia, folks, get, get yourself a tape of the 90 minutes of this. <laughs> After an international break that came at just the wrong time, the Dons looking to make it back-to-back away wins in the league. And then to make it four wins on the trot in the Premiership for the first time since a run between August and September in 2020 that culminated a 1-0 win over Kilmarnock. Barry Robson, fresh from being confirmed as the Dons manager to the end of the season, naming an unchanged side from the one that beat Hearts 3-0 last time out. Matty Kennedy and Alfie Babbage returning to the bench in place of Connor Barron and Hayden Coulson. Jay Horter continuing to miss out on the bench this time due to an ankle injury allegedly sustained during the week. Now, the home side boasting one of the worst home records in the league, quickest out the traps, Kel Roos being called into action twice in the opening couple of minutes, first to make a stop from a Gordon effort from a corner before picking himself up to stop the rebound from McGowan. The game bursting into life with only three minutes on the clock, Shinny playing in Miofsky in the North Macedonian got himself involved with a little bit of a tangle of legs and a cheeky pull back of the jersey from the birthday boy Andy Constantine. Constantine making contact with Miofsky after a lengthy set of checks. The initially awarded penalty kick overturned a free kick given instead, but Constantine receiving a birthday card he didn't want, courtesy of... Who was it? What was the referee's name yesterday? Colin Stephen? Uh, I've actually got no idea. I've never, I've never seen him before. Anyway, after a lengthy bar check, Constantine off, Hayes' effort from the free kick, straight into the wall. How anticlimactic was that? Lovely stuff. That was shambolic. It was pretty bad. The execution of that free kick was pretty, pretty damn special. (laughs) 
Saints still reacting well to going down to 10 men up the other end of the park. Rudden bringing another save from Roos before Aberdeen swept up the park from the resulting corner. Ramadani with an effort which clipped the post according to all the press that I found today. I thought the keeper touched, touched it round. I'm positive that Matthews makes the save and then clatters into the post. That's what I thought. Never mind. Angus McDonald with a header from a late in Clarkson free kick that looked goal-bound before Matthews managed to palm it wide. And then from that corner, Duke, Miofsky and Polk all getting in each other's way with Duke's header looping harmlessly wide. The wayside, though, finally getting the breakthrough on 30 minutes. Hayes' corner from the right, met by McDonald at the front post, and his volley found... Did it find the net? Crossed the line via Remy Matthews, making a royal arse of things in the Saints' goals. Miofsky in the book for a high boot on Gordon that went to a VAR check before May was in behind the Aberdeen defence once again, but his finish was well wide of Kel Reese's goal. Yeah, one of those things made me more nervous than the other. <laughs> Miofsky should have made it two for Aberdeen just on half time. A fine curled ball in from Ramadani, met by Miofsky, but his header was wide of target. Half time, 1 0 to the visitors. Into the second half, the Dons with the first attempt, Ramadani breaking into the box, but his effort was blocked well. And for a minute, I thought Remy Matthews had like chucked the ball into his own net again here as he faced his own goal, unfortunately not to be. Truth be told, Little to talk about in a second half that in the main saw Aberdeen try to maintain possession without creating much in the way of opening. Saints happy to try and make the game a bit of a battle before the introductions of Murphy and Graham Carey for the home side seemed to spark them into life. May's cross, finding Halberg unmarked by his header from 14 yards out was weak into the ground, allowing Kel Roos to gather comfortably. Dere Wright sneaking in past Duke at the far post shortly afterwards, but he couldn't direct his volley goalwards. Ryan Duncan on for Johnny Hayes had a great chance to wrap the points up after doing well to cut inside his effort ended up wide of goal Mislovich and Watkins on for Duke and Miofsky but it was Halberg for Saints with another golden chance which he blew with the goal at his mercy Shinny picking up his second booking right on 90 minutes a foul on right on the main stand giving referee Colin Stephen the perfect excuse to level things up Aberdeen then had Roos to thank as Carey's cross found Gordon and his header seemed destined for the top corner until the big Dutchman tipped it up and onto the bar. Full time, 1-0. The Dons capitalising on results elsewhere to stay fourth, but now sitting only one point behind Heart of Midlothian as the race for third heats up on the data. The possession, 35% for Saints, 65 for the Dons. Shots, 14-12 to 12 in favour of the home side. Shots on target, 6-3 in favour of... St. Johnston expected goals 0.82 for St. Johnston to 1.00 bang on exact for Aberdeen. So Gab, as to be expected, the streak of games at McDermott Park, the streak, it is WrestleMania weekend after all, the streak of games at McDermott Park settled by only one goal continues as per the preview last week. You've got to go all the way back to 2019 for a game between the sides in Perth where more than one, where more than two goals were scored. We'll come on to the game in more detail shortly but given the way results went elsewhere all that really mattered was collecting the three points I mean you mentioned streaks and Wrestlemania weekend I mean Stevie May was acting about as much of an arsehole as Mark Calloway usually does but uh, that's nevertheless um, listen the game itself um, if I was to if this was like a series like a TV series and you were to title this episode You'd be calling it, you know, postmodern brutalism. It was a horrendous game of football. But my view very much lined up nicely with those of Graham Steele. 
in that the performance was not why I really cared about. It was purely about getting the three points. And even ahead of the game, it was essential. But then when you, you know, look at your live score app and see how things are going for both of the Edinburgh sides. Hard to do at McDermott yesterday, given the absolute shit show of a uh, signal. That that is a 5G graveyard of a stadium, <laughs> if I have ever found one. But how many times last year did we go into games saying, well, if this happens and this happens and we win, then we're right back in the mix. And we never took advantage of it. Yesterday, you know, Hearts losing, Hibs losing. All you wanted to complete the set was, you know, a draw uh, between Livingston and St. Mirren. Yeah. But the big two, you know, games outside of ourselves, it goes our way. Well, yeah, let's say it wasn't pretty at all, but all that matters is that we got the win. And if that's comes, if that is coming from Remy Matthews ricocheting the ball, of himself a number of occasions into the net. Rick O'Shea, is he? I will take it. Rick O'Shea, Irish high flyer. Um, Trevor. Uh, you just touched on there. I mean, how many times, in certainly in the last, <laughs> since we've been doing this show, it feels like, how many times have we come out of games going, oh, look at all the results that have gone our way. And we failed to take advantage of it. Yes, it feels like probably the first time in a long time that we've actually come out of a game going, we've actually really capitalised on that yesterday. In terms of overall performance, I mean, it's a good few levels down from the performance we put in against Hearts last time out. What do you put that one down to, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's, you think when when Constantine goes off, I mean, even before that, we I think we, St. Johnston started the game um, a lot brighter than us, got ourselves into some uh, positions. It's a good save from Kelly to stop us going 1-0 down within the first five minutes, and then the game changes completely. But then when Constantine gets the red card, I think back to... You know, St. Mirren, Livingston at Pataudry, we've shown we've got a, a capacity to take advantage of this and, you know, go and score a good few goals. Um, obviously, it takes us a while, but then we get the first goal. I I thought, I hoped that we could, you know, go and put a bit of a show on and also just help ourselves out with the, with the goal difference uh, yeah. aspect in the league as well. But it just felt like, it just felt like no one was really at it yesterday. Um, probably best exemplified by... By Duke, really, and just nothing really came off. Um, I don't know if it's it's not an excuse as such because it's obviously the same for both teams. But the pitch at Madeira Park seemed to be very troublesome to the players. The pitch was awful, awful it's, yesterday. It's it's also like a very tight pitch anyway. So even with them having ten men, it still seems quite easy to make the game quite congested and yeah, retain a shape, and you're going to be still hard to to break down. And when we had opportunities to like you know have um whether it was an overlap or you know, hit a cross-field pass into someone in space, we just didn't ever quite execute the pass correctly. Um, it just seemed like a day where the players were just you know, half a step off of it um, all around the pitch. Um, and, you know, at, let's be honest, at the, at the end of the game, we nearly really pay for that. Um, whether that's just in the case of some of the players like Duke, um, you know, has had a lot of traveling in the international break. It's it's a hard it's really hard to say because obviously the player should be relatively fresh, but it just didn't seem like it just didn't seem like it was clicking. I don't really know why. But yeah. the good thing in that situation is because how often in this time kind of game, as you say, in the last two seasons especially, there's no chance we come away with a win from there. So we still managed to find a way to grind out, and that's quite satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just the way to say that's a result with that part when you couple that performance, you know, I don't think we pick up three points. Um, certainly not under Jim Goodwin. We don't pick up three points. 
I mean, I watched us pick up three points at St. Johnston with a very, very, very similar performance under Stephen Glass. Um, that's the big difference as well, isn't it? You just touched on it. When your team's not playing well, and I think on the... F- yesterday, there's probably plus marks for two, maybe three players, maybe four tops in the starting lineup yesterday. When you're not all at it, to still go away. And this league's weird this season. I mean, teams are not generally winning away from home this season. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. It's just one of these things. St. Johnson do have one of the worst home records in, in the league, so that does help. But you kind of just have to... I, I saw a lot of people complaining about the performance last night. And I can understand why. It did feel a little bit like some of the dying embers of the Derek McInnes era to an extent in terms of just the style of performance. But given where we've been, I, I think that the criticism about the McInnes, the dying end of the McInnes era was that we were still up at the right end of the table. And so you wanted to see us go out and be a little bit more expansive or just show a little bit more about us. I think just given where we've been recently, that was such a big win and how it came about was almost irrelevant. Um, yeah, like I say, it could have come off of Miofsky's arse. It doesn't matter to me that it's an own goal from the St. Johnston goalkeeper. It's, of course, it would be remiss to not point out that we won last year at McDermott Park because of the handball skills of one LeBron Jinx as well. Yes, uh, so in a, in a pre-VAR era, of course, now that probably wouldn't have uh, have counted to say. Although, know, I've, I've seen VAR in this country. You don't know. You don't know. Um, so I think I think as well sometimes we just we were trying too hard to rush things because yeah. there were moments where we could have really just benefited from just getting the ball down, knocking it around, not really per se showing intent to try and attack at any available opportunity, but just to get like five minutes of St. Johnston just chasing the ball and just physically and mentally wear yeah. them out. We just seemed a little too intent to get the ball. I just don't think the, the pitch helped with that though yesterday. I just, I think I, I, I get that, but I don't remember it being as bothersome to St. Johnston as it seemed to be. But all St. Johnston did was, but to be fair, all St. Johnston did was hit the ball up the channels. Oh, that's, like, maybe, that's maybe correct. I, th- I think you still should have, I, I get the pitch was horrendous and you know, you can see um, why uh, St. Johnston fans and away fans especially comment on it. But I, I think we could have just been, you know, calmer in certain situations mm. rather than trying to rush things. And I think maybe sometimes the fans who were getting on the players' backs and maybe that had an effect on it. Uh, you, know, you don't know exactly what reaches the players on the pitch. But yeah, it was just, there were times for cooler heads to prevail. And um, we, yeah, we, just, we, we made just some bad choices at, at critical errors. Big, massive helping hand provided by Andy Constantine early on this one. <sighs> Andy Constantine is a dandy. Newsflash. Andy doing Andy Constantine things. Poor guy. Poor guy. In a, in, you know what? In a way, and I say this with all the respect of the world to Andy Constantine, of all the centre-backs I would have had a red card on, it wouldn't have been him. No? No. Um, I think if he if it had been left with, you know, say, Gordon and Constantine, I think then we have space to exploit and we get more benefit out of that ball in behind. I think if you got, if I've got to be perfectly honest, I think Ryan McGowan played the game of his career yesterday. Um, I thought he played Mar- well, McGowan actually. I yeah. thought he marshaled Duke in a way that I've not seen anyone. And even I remember Danny and Sam referring that Liam Gordon's had an absolute mayor of a season. I thought he played well as well. Um, yeah. I think I would have been, I'd have been intrigued to see what we could have done if it was Constantine that was part of our back four, rather than rather than those two. Yeah, looking at the team in more detail, it's probably Duke's worst performance in a red shirt. Um, to date 
we're not going to go into food on this one here. I think it's probably excusable given he had to travel back from Eswatini during the middle of the week, having represented Cape Verde in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifier, qualifiers even. Um, pitch as well probably didn't help Duke that much either because it just looked like it was a real struggle to get the ball under control at any point um, to then allow him to make a turn and make a run on somebody. But as well, it was one of those games, Ryan McGowan really did a bit of a number on him in the first 20, 25 minutes, I think. And he almost just, faded out the game a little bit and then he ended up being pushed out wide when we went to kind of we, we, we went about 4-1-4-1 almost for a period um after after St Johnson went out at 10 men or mm-hmm. after we scored and I don't think that really helped him much either he was just kind of stuck out in the left wing a bit um just one of those afternoons for for Duke listen it's it's one of the performances I expected a lot more of these yeah. from Duke this season when we were when he was being described to us uh, in the summer before we even saw him and then when we saw him at Sterling Albion I hope there's going to be games where he's going to be pretty ineffective and you know there's maybe moments where you wish him to be a little bit more diplomatic in his play rather than trying to constantly take the ball in and then like try to spin someone or try to take players on there were opportunities for him to you know make a pass in field to like a Clarks Clarkson to let them have a maybe even have a shot but he's, um, he's obviously very determined to to do to bring to the team what we we know what he can bring. Um, I thought that St. Johnson appeared to have like identified that when it comes to Duke receiving the ball, he does tend to wait for it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes his first touch can be quite heavy as well. So it was very much a case of like as soon as the ball's coming in, let's get in close to him. And I'll be interested to see if that's have a strategy other teams try and adopt. Um and then as the game wore on, as you say in the second half, I was just getting no joy whatsoever. And then he started to, you know, try and manufacture free kicks, which was a little bit frustrating as well. And it also meant that he seemed less keen or less willing to do his defensive duties, which in turn, you know, that's, you mentioned the Dre White opportunity that comes from, Dre Wright, sorry, opportunity that comes from Duke, you know, basically not tracking his man. So it was, it was a wise decision at that point to, to hook him listen it's it's gonna happen he's he's a he's a maverick player and we love him for that but there's gonna be games where it's just not gonna happen like you say the traveling point didn't help the pitch didn't help but yeah it was not it was just certainly not duke's finest hour let's talk about graham uh, sorry no on the other hand before coming to graham shinny on the other hand i thought miofsky was good maybe even very good in the main yesterday. If he'd been able to score that head in the first half, it would have probably been about as complete a number nine performance as you'd expect. I thought it was winning his fair share of headers, was linking the play well. Um, there was one occasion in the, second, in the first half where Graham Shinney won the ball, decided he was going to try and drive at the goal mouth, um, realised he was probably a bit too old for that now, and um, Miofsky was heading up the right-hand side like a man possessed, which is one of the funnier things I've seen all season. A good performance by Miofsky. Obviously, he got a... Goal with Macedonia against the Faroe Islands during the week. Started against, uh, who did they play in the Euro qualifiers? It's completely escaped me now. Um, got an assist in that one as well. So a, a good week for him with the international setup. A goal would have just capped off that performance, I think. I, I thought, yeah, as as far as his uh, target man role, link up play, yeah, I agree. I think he did a very, very good job. Um, it was disappointing that opportunity in this first half because... Miofsky is more than good enough to to score that header from the Ramadan cross at the very least to to get the to get it on target and then that gives us a real cushion going into the second half. Um, I, I thought he was a in the modern game. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was quite nervous when he put it in his um, 
effort of taking the ball down and in the process, you know, clatter someone in the head with the studs. Uh, today, that could easily be uh, interpreted as being endangering an opponent. And like I say, I think I got the sense that the referee was keen to try and even the game up after having given Considine the red card. But nevertheless, um, yeah, worked his absolute socks off. I'm not sure hearing is the verb I would use for his effort in supporting Graham <laughs> Shinney. If that's what a hare did in a dog race, they would be very, very boring. More boring than they already are. Yeah, I just enjoyed it. I just thought it was it was just a really funny visual. It was the funny visual of him just like pumping all the limbs. Yeah, yeah. In a sort of comically Fred Flintstone kind of fashion. But um, yeah, a very good all-round performance. A Fred Flintstone fashion? Yeah, Fred Flintstone was always like... Hmm. With, with his little yeah. legs. Anyway. Um, Dream Shinny. Body. <laughs> yeah, Shinney. We're all massive fans of Graham Shinney Love him here on this podcast. But that was two silly yellow cards, wasn't it? Well, Picked up yesterday. The first for let's well, come on. The first for descent, born out of frustration. I think from him not being given a free kick, and then I think that's why he was a bit pissed still about Hadouk possibly brought down earlier as well. Um, well, he it was even from relatively close. It was hard to work out if Duke had been brought down or if Duke had yeah. brought himself down. And then a really daft silly attempt of a tackle and right on the touchline i don't think it's a book i don't think it's a booking by the way the second one at all but in fact i don't think either of them are bookings because how often did stevie mainko harangue the referee with nothing being done about him during the game but he's he's given the referee a chance to make decisions both times hasn't he well see with the first one i you don't know what's been said well but you'll see re- you'll see players approach referees in a far more demanding aggressive way hmm. every game every league up and down the country even at McDermott Park yeah so uh, and I think Graham Shinney was kind of like pointing to his you know armband being like I'm the captain I should be allowed to ask you a simple question like we've we've seen in the past you know these referees a lot of them are just not willing to speak to the players and the easiest way to get them away from them is to yellow card them but they pick their moments at very interesting times um the second one i mean it's in the st johnston half it's you know it's it's a on the byline it's a pretty needless tackle to make again i don't think it's a yellow card at all i think it's just a late challenge but it's not endangering the opponent in any way um but like i said it, that, at that point when you're on a yellow and grimshin is the master of being on a yellow card and not getting sent yeah. off that is grimshin's first red card for aberdeen i know Insania, but it is what it is. He, I'll tell you what, though, looking forward, uh, a game Kilmarnock at home is probably the perfect game, I would dare suggest, for Graham Shinney to not be available. Yeah, do you think so? I just think we really like, I think that energy in the midfield is really important to us. I think there's, I think there's an easy fixer. We'll come on to that later on. We're gonna talk about Kilmarnock later. Um, yeah, just a bit daft, I think, overall. From a guy, like you say, who is the master of not getting sent off, um, gave the referee a decision to make it. And, and, and let's be honest, Colin Stephen couldn't wait for that second yellow card to come out. Oh, I mean, it, that was, was... it was Willie Collum at Hamden against Celtic with a handsy Andy Considine-esque. The way that he ran, he is beating Boyamovsky in, in a straight 100-yard <laughs> dash. Except this time the referee had the card out as well. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Quite game for Leighton Clarkson in the main. Not really much to talk about there. Um, tried to make things happen, but when I mentioned earlier about players, you know, in the key moments, trying to find um, 
one of the wide players like McCrory or Hayes or yeah. you know Miofsky or Duke with a crossfield pass just didn't seem to happen for him. There's a moment in the second half when he gets a little bit of space, 20 yards out, kind of just chips it over the over the goal into yeah. the into the sand. We know the Leighton Clarkson is capable of far more than that. Um, like you say, the pitch maybe a contributing factor, but you'd expect more from him, especially given how good he's been lately. The back line as well. Um if coming for a lot of praise in recent weeks, um looked a little bit iffy first half, particularly the ball over the top for Stevie May to chase down was causing us problems. Is that an area that a lot of opposition teams might be looking at now to try and exploit? But they're not the quickest, McDonald and Pollock. Once they get going, they're okay, but if you if you get them turned, there is potentially an opportunity in there. McDonald, Pollock and, and Scales as well, I would throw in that that category. Um, the good thing is that we do have energy from other areas that are able to cover. There's a moment in this first half when Stevie May got through on goal pretty central and McCrory is able to make up the ground to to put him off and you know all we end up giving away as a corner at that point. Um, it wouldn't surprise me because like you say, they are not the, the fastest across the turf. And we were keeping quite a high line, I thought, yesterday at times. Yeah, we, we were. It There certainly was, there was more success from a ball going in behind than I can think of any other point that these guys have been here. Yeah. Um, and whether that plays is also part of that, you know, Stevie May is... I assume got a replacement knee and has actually re- regained his pace because Christ knows he wasn't that fast at Aberdeen at any point. <laughs> um, the good thing is that, you know, um, they just, they weren't able to execute at any point to make that into anything meaningful. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, um, I feel like Scales had a pretty good game. And no, I guess the good thing is though that at the end when we needed them to, you know, throw their bodies in the way and be in the right place, they were. Um, we know these guys' quality. We'll be okay. I know that um, Scales didn't have a great game, and, and somebody's raised the question about Scales with us as well. But I think the header that come, the header that Roos touches on the bar, well, it's Scales that's there. Scales is there, clear. So you know, if in fairness to him, if he's not there, I think somebody's coming in to tap that into the net. So I know, but I can also think. I mean, you were away in the uh, in the in the facilities when Liam Scales put two balls from um, thirty yards out in a Michael Hart fashion into the into the stand. So um, left back, maybe not his calling. I have seen them again. I, I I put myself through the ringer to watch the majority of the game again this afternoon, which was um, just in case I'd missed out on anything major in that three minutes that I took the little man to the to the facilities. Um, Kelrus, quite the performance from the big Dutchman. Two clean sheets from two on his return to the side. Six saves in total yesterday, but it's, two, it's the two right at the start of the game and then the one in the dying moments that are the most important um, was even coming and claiming crosses and kind of making good punches. A vast improvement in that area. Um, a very good performance from from Kelrus yesterday. Um, I'll caveat everything I'm about to say with the point that I still remain <laughs> very unconvinced by whether Kelrus is a long-term Aberdeen standard number one goalkeeper. But it would appear that the the new defence, the new midfield in front of him has given him a, a level of confidence. It appears there's maybe been an instruction that he needs to be more proactive and aggressive when it comes to dealing with cross balls and helping the team out. But the big thing is, like you say, the save at the beginning um, is a remarkably good save. And Sinjol to go 1-0 up and it's still 11 v 11. The game changes completely. The stat remains a lie that we have not won a game this year where we've gone behind 
given the way the game panned out, you wouldn't necessarily have backed us to be able to turn that round. And then you hear it all the time about, about good goalkeepers like, you know, Peter Schmeichel back in the mid-90s with Man United or Craig Gordon with Hearts last year, Joe Lewis at his peak, like what a goalkeeper is worth in terms of points. Yeah. With that save at the end, Kelrus is the difference between us taking away one point, taking away three points, which puts the pressure massively on Hearts. So it is yeah. a key key moment and that's what you need from your goalkeeper because no matter how well you defend you're not going to be able to keep a team out generally speaking for 90 minutes they're going to get chances they're going to get you know someone's going to win a header yeah there's going to be a chance isn't there it doesn't matter how bad a team's played against you exactly and that's when you need your keeper to come up with that big moment and you know you mentioned that it's a great save of course it is but he's also able to get himself back up get himself positioned for when I think Halberg puts in the next shot he's there takes it down game's finished it was um, a very very good performance of Kelrus. And I'm uh, like you say, it's two clean sheets in a row. The first, I'm sure that's the word that he will have uh, heard that certainly in, in league football this season. Uh, no, I don't think it is actually. I think he had, um, was he in goals for this one? He was. He had two clean sheets at the start of the year. Ross County 0-0 and then we beat St. Johnson 2-0 at home. I stand corrected. But there we go. But interesting as well, you, you did touch on it. I, I wonder how much this is also down to the improved defence. If you if you take the Celtic game out of the equation that we had at Parkhead, um, in our last five games, we've only conceded two goals and both those goals were penalties. So we are definitely tightening up from that perspective, which is good. I mean, to be fair, St. Johnston could and probably should have scored at least two in the first half, which goes to show we, we, we just weren't at it, really. I don't think across the piece, but the three points is all that matters. All in all, we just touched on there, a, a, a relatively rotten performance across the piece on a bad pitch against a battling St. Johnston side. Um, you kind of have to give them, I was going to say credit. St. Johnston did what they did. They're kind of well organized. They make it a battle. They make it difficult. McDermott Park's always a horrible place to go and play. You kind of have to, we've touched on it earlier on, just kind of forget the performance a bit, take the win, move on to next week. We're not going to be able to be swashbuckling every single game, are we? But grinding out the win is huge. And grinding out wins like that on the road are what, gets you up the table and ultimately what could potentially secure us third spot this season. It's it's simply what we've not done enough of in the last two seasons, especially, and that's why we've we've failed in in our objectives. Um it's a game that we don't win early in the season. It's a massive three points. That's all that counts. It was a massive three points before the, the day the way the results went, it becomes even bigger. We've taken it feels like we've taken all the risk element out of our game. There was a moment in the first half when Matty Pollock wanted to take the ball short from Kelrus because he yeah. had, the Johnson players had all gone back to the halfway line and Kelrus was just like, nah, we're not doing this anymore. And that's what you need to do sometimes. And and this is the thing, like I, I kind of almost feel like there's 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 almost a route for us of being and I don't understand why no one's really looked at this before, but you can be a bit more free flowing and try and be a bit more swashbuckling at home, you know? where you have a duty to entertain your own fans as well as win games. On the road, you've got no duty whatsoever to try and entertain the home support. If we went away and shithoused our way to points after points after points all season on the road and we're good to watch at home, I'd be okay with that, Max. I cannot be the only person out there that loved Jimmy Caldwell's first season when that's exactly what we did on the road, (laughs) especially get ahead within five minutes and then just 11 men parked in our box. Let's just get this. Let's just see this out. Um, like I say, I think there was some naivety um, later in the in the end of the game. There was a moment where 
Mislovic had an opportunity to take the ball into the corner and waste time. Instead, he plays what was, in fairness, a decent ball if their target isn't Leighton Clarkson, which it was. And then we go up the other end of the pitch and, you know, we, we nearly actually concede from there. So yeah. still some, uh, you know, it's still a fairly young team. So that's going to, that kind of experience is going to come with time. But like I say, it feels like we've just taken the risk factor out of our play completely. If you can't play it from the back, you don't have the place to do it, then just don't do it, especially on a pitch like that. Um, and that's, I think, goes all the credit has to go to the manager in that situation. One final point, the boy Daniel Phillips in the midfield for St. Johnston. I was very impressed by him. Thought he played well. I believe he is on loan at St. Johnston. So if he is uh, available... He's from Millwall, at Millwall, I think. Is if, he's on he is, if he is out there and available, then uh, Aberdeen Recruitment Department, you can have that one for free. Yeah, absolutely. On the top, Don, the solar system, we only could, I could only, we could only pull three names together, Gav, couldn't we? Even that felt like a bit of a struggle. So it was Boya Miofsky, Angus McDonald, or Kel Roos with the choices. Miofsky, 7.2% of the vote, Angus McDonald with 11.8%, which meant Kel Roos on the nose, 81%. I think that might be the biggest margin of victory that anyone's had in the top down vote this season. Excluding uh, polls that have only had one person on them. Absolutely. Uh, are you in any way inclined, Gavin, to disagree with the masses or are you going to take the Graham Steele approach and be a man of the people? Um, I thought Stevie May put in a good promise for us. <laughs> Andy Constantine did well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we 100% do not win the game without Kelrus and that save at the very end. So he is my top dog. Good stuff. I completely agree. Kelrus has to be. No questions on that one. Um, there we go. Three points up the road. Just the one point now behind Hearts. Stretching a bit of a gap now in front of Hibs as well. It's on, isn't it? It's on. It's on like donkey motherfucking Kong. <laughs> it's on like Fat Pat's dong. <laughs> <laughs> on to Lone Watch. Connor McLennan at St. Johnson. On account of the Adam Montgomery rule, Connor and his luscious, luscious locks had to sit in the stand at McDermott and watch his main team take the points. Do you think Connor tucked into a tasty steak and chorizo pie? By the way, you hyped that up way too much. You think so? That it it is fine. It is nothing more. Fine. It nothing is less. Okay. Um, I don't think my one was cooked properly. Yeah, maybe not. Talk to us about the moment you had when you um went back at halftime. I enjoyed this muchly. Oh yeah. Um so went back <laughs> to the kiosk. There is a sign that reads no hot food left. The girl behind the counter shouts for everyone in Perth to hear. We have no hot food left and then the schmuck in front of me gets up to the till and, and says, if you listen to, if you listen to the show gavin has just called you a schmuck um and it sounds like deservedly so to be fair and says and i quote so you've got no hot food left was it a genuine question or was he taking the piss no that it was 100 genuine <laughs> genuine question as <laughs> if they were like hiding a stash yeah of, um, of, of macaroni pies just in case of an emergency in case we were like <laughs> locked in to McDermott Park um, yeah quite quite remarkable anyway there we go um, have you had a chance to think about when was your last away day victory as a Dabreen fan Gav before um, yesterday we were talking uh, about the car down I genuinely can't think but uh, if you keep going I will I'll try and I will try and refresh my memory <laughs> anyway moving on Kieran Nguyenia an unused substitute is Wraith Rovers beat 
Queen's Park by two goals nil in the championship to throw that title race wide open. Jack Milne at Kelty Hearts, another 90 minutes under his belt, this time back at centre half as Kelty ground out a nil-nil draw at Dunfermline in League One. That sounds like a barn burner. Aaron Reid and Evan Towler for Elgin City. Towler with 90 minutes again under his belt, but no space in the matchday squad for Aaron Reid as Elgin were beaten again, this time a 3-0 defeat to Darren Young's table-topping Sterling Albion. Elgin are now only three points clear of bottom spot in League Two. Dearie me, I think they were Graham's tip for emerging club in League Two this season, so the curse strikes again. Kevin Hanrati for Martin United. Another start on the bench for Hanrati. For Martin beat Devonvale by two goals to one in the Highland League. Keeps him in third place. Once again, I've no idea if Kevin Hanrati got a minute off the bench. Can somebody put us in touch with the for Martin United social media team? Lads, come on. I need to know if he's playing or not. And then a new entrant this week to Lone Watch. Anthony Stewart at the Milton Keynes Dons. A debut for Stewart from the start as MK Dons were held to a 2-2 draw at his former club, Wickham Rovers. And judging by social media reactions of Milton Keynes supporters, not a great start. At Sam underscore MKD remarking, quote, I see what Aberdeen fans mean about Anthony Stewart. He's wank. So a good start for him. <laughs> That's just a... That's what you want as a player, isn't it? That's it. That kind, of, feed, that kind of feedback. <laughs> that kind of... That kind of critical feedback on your on your debut. It's just what you want. Having not even seen any of this game, I agree with his assessment. <laughs> I saw the opening goal for Wickham and the ball just sails over the top of Stuart's head. He's just watching it. Sounds like him. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Sounds like him. Um, I think, I think, and this is just a reflection of how little I've gone to away games in the last <laughs> four or five years, especially. Which I think, which is great that you then get to come in a pine <laughs> about AFC's fortunes. Um, I I think it's the replay with Dennis Muir. No. Greg Stewart's second coming, second <laughs> Greg Stewart's finest moment in an um, It can't you, be. If you were there, you saw the greatest own goal of all time from the Stennis Muir at number three. Um, yeah. Because obviously we're talking about away games not being like cup semis or anything. No, because that's a neutral venue. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's that. <laughs> oh, Gav. Oh, dear. Really? Like I say, that's the last away win. Oh, that's the way we went. I've yeah, been to away yeah. days. I was I was one of the poor suffering bastards that was at Tandice earlier this season. Yes, of course. I forgot that's where we're going with this. It was on wins. Anyway, we digress. Welcome to the show. Um, back on the loan watch. Dean Camp Gav just rolled his eyes. It was brilliant. I enjoyed that. That's Gav, a long suffering man, having to edit this this shit on a weekly basis. Dean Campbell, Stevenage, a return to the starting lineup for Dino. And he lasted until halftime as Stevenage drew 1-1 with second place Northampton in League 2. Stevenage still in third place. Vicente Pajauin, obviously out injured, back in Aberdeen, rehabbing. And Dante Povara, handsome Dante, no game this week for the battery in the USL Championship. On to the young team. Uh, let's do this quickly because we don't have a lot of time after a heavy defeat last time out to Hibs. 5-1 win against St Mirren this time in Paisley. Goals from, I, th- I think that's meant to be Murray. I don't think we've got a player called Murray. Boyd, Babbage and a double from Adam Emsley meant that the young team left Paisley with all three points. St Mirren visiting Cormac Park next week, so we'll see how we go there. On the women's team, Spartans visiting the Balmoral on Sunday afternoon as Gavin Levy side looked to build on the win against the Glasgow women last time out. One change in the starting lineup, Lauren Campbell returning to the starting 
11 in place of Bailey Collins, young goalkeeper. And I think we might have found a challenger to Graham's best named player in the SWPL. Skylana Cameron Leal, subkeeper on the bench for the first time. Does that rival Priscilla Chinchilla? Not even close. No, not close. Okay, there we go. It was the home side, though, who got off to a flyer. Ailey Shore rifling in a perler of a drive into the top corner from 30 yards with less than a minute on the clock for what is her third goal of the campaign. Chances for Hutchison and Hansen going begging as the hosts looked to build on that start, but the visitors held off and began to grow more into the game as the halftime whistle approached. After the break, the Dons would double change on the hour mark as this game ebbed and flowed. Hannah Stewart and Maya Christie making their making way for Bailey Collins and Francesca Ogilvie. The end-to-end nature of this encounter continued with the Spartans then getting an equaliser through bursts, forcing the ball over the line, despite McCann's protestations that she'd kept it out. Worst was to come, though, for the Dons. The Spartans took the lead just a couple of minutes later, Gibb running onto a through ball and finishing well. The Quines just not quite able to force an equaliser. Hutchinson going closest in the dying minutes. But it was Spartans who took the three points back to Edinburgh. The Dons remain in ninth, tied on 18 points with Dundee United. A home fixture versus Hamilton academicals in two weeks time next up and that gav i think will do us for now nice short succinct show as always absolutely join us after the break when we'll take a look at next week's fixture with kilmarnock in the cinch this episode of the abz football podcast is brought to you by siberia bar and hotel on belmont street aberdeen and with may day fast approaching join the gang for the biggest day in siberia's yearly calendar on Sunday the 30th of April from midday featuring music from Home Alone All Night Passion and much much more Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to looking at Kilmarnock, just a quick shout out to those of you continuing to make your contributions to the beer and coffee fund this week, including, oh, he's back again. It's Mark Robertson, Gav. Mark Robertson. What a guy. What a guy. Honestly, what a lad. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. We acknowledge you, Mark. We acknowledge you. You the one. If you'd like to help give us fuels and beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast the link is in the description share us a beer or a coffee it is much appreciated now before we move on to the Kamara preview I did throw open the, I threw it open I threw it open throw it Jesus. open I threw open that's what that is that is up there with the use of the word jam with the word of what <laughs> I've heard anytime that someone says I jammed over I jammed the, uh, oh dear makes me cringe makes me makes me hurt more than when I hear the word guesstimate <laughs> anyway right apologies for that i threw open the gates of hell and asked people on twitter what they want us to talk about tonight. so some quick fire rounds for you gav this okay. one i think you really like it's from the dandies at dandy dons 83 he wants to know about the state of the fair city unity oh the the st Minin, uh, sorry the st johnson ultras section yes. with their matching sailor, sailors costumes yes and choreography yeah, what did you think? You uh, obviously would have seen this. You would have seen this before. So, no, I haven't even seen it on TV. I mean, I get to point out reflects that St. Johnston are never on TV, and if they are, they're usually giving away about three other stands to the opposition fans. 
Um, I was very, I was almost hypnotized at one point. I turned to talk to you about something on the pitch and you just, you just had this look of utter bewilderment. It was amazing. Well, it was the fact that the dance, I mean, the dance. I feel like I shouldn't call it a dance because like, that seems like not fitting with the spectacle, but that's what it was. It was a dance and it wasn't within the beat of the drum, which really <laughs> offended me as a, as a, as a musician. And then it turned into a twirly, um, after a number it of, it did turn into a twirly after, after a right, number yeah. of repeats. Um, Tell you what, I would love nothing more than to be an onlooking spectator in like, you know, like in Russia, like there's no fucking around with the ultras. They just like meet, agree on a meeting point in a forest and then just go there and just lump seven chains of shit on one another. Yeah. I'm all in for, what are they called? Fair City Unity. The Fair City Unity, yeah. I want to see that Fair City Unity versus the Kresh from Fur Park. (laughs) In a forest, in, in the crematorium grounds. In a, uh, yeah, and the prize for the winners is a big bag of Haribo Starbucks. Lovely stuff. Kevin Ritchie at Broomhill Dons. Roos, has he finally convinced the Dons support his save at the end earned us two points? Has he convinced us that he is the Dons goalkeeper? That save <laughs> wins well, us. I think he's convinced me he's the Dons goalkeeper because he, he occasionally turns up in a goalkeeper shirt with gloves on. <laughs> um, um, I, uh, no. I remain unconvinced long term. You do remain unconvinced, don't you? You're still not sure. I have I maintain my stance that there is going to come a day where it could have happened already in my mind. Actually, that Kelrus could have cost us a big game. Thankfully, his biggest mistakes have generally speaking come at a point when a game is inconsequential. I think there are deficiencies in his game as a goalkeeper that will that will hurt us in a big way. But like I say, he has improved since he's come back in the team. I does feel that like the defense has helped. And, you know, taking away that element of playing it from the back seems to like have allowed him to just concentrate on actually being a goalkeeper. But um, still work to be done. Gary Coots at Gary Coots 6 asks, the torture of listening to the young lassie reading the team lineups. I think we must have missed this. I, I suspect we must have been in the pie queue. I know that St. Johnston do this. I think they, they let the mascots read the team lineups out. Um, if that maybe happened, because we got there not late, but we were like, I think we got there at about quarter past, half past two. I think we were in the ground at like half two. I then... don't, I recall a very, very monotone announcer mm. announcing the team lineups in a way that suggested that he was at gunpoint while doing it. <laughs> maybe he was. I mean, <laughs> it's not a vintage season for St. Johnston. I don't really recall uh, a stadium announcer having less oomph about what was about to happen that guy needs to put some bass in his voice when he's doing these announcements <laughs> yeah um mind you if i was announcing adam montgomery and halberg then i would be not overly <laughs> enthusiastic either in fairness to him uh no i didn't i don't recall this um didn't need it any young any uh young children taking on official yeah. match day duties come on gary they're just kids what's wrong with you come on lighten up Anyway, Kevin Smith at Kevin SM4730596. I have seen this quote and I actually have no idea what this means. I think this was in the Scotsman today. It's a quote from Barry Robson when they were talking about recruitment for next season. Have you seen this quote yet? No. Nope. If you haven't seen it in writing, I'm going to read it out to you and it literally makes no sense. Um, I don't know if whoever was transcribing it has picked it up wrong. It does kind of, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to Barry, it does sound like Barry Robson talking though. So. 
let's just hear it out. Um, quote, a lot of the players we're looking at have already been written up to where the club will be next season. I will be, I will be part of that with them. We will go and have a look at the profile players and what players will be staying and going, end quote. Kevin's question is, what does this mean, do you think? Uh, can you repeat it for me, please? Quote, a lot of the players we are looking at have already been written up to where the club will be next season. That's the bit I don't understand, right? I, Barry Robson, will be part of that with them. We will go and have a look at the profile players and what players will be staying and going. Um, right, so I would... I think I'll try and work backwards from that. Um, so Bayer Robson will be will play his part as far as the players that are around and who he is deemed to be worthy of staying at Aberdeen. That could mm-hmm. be the loan players that we have or players who are out of contract. Or players who are under contract. <laughs> and I think it goes to what I'm saying that our recruitment has to be in motion regardless of who the coach is. We should be you know, looking, scouring the world for a number of players in every position and, you know, having reports ready for whether it's by Robson or whether it's a new manager coming in so we can just, you know, hit the ground running. It's not as yeah. though we have to start, like, from scratch. I think the bit that's confusing a lot of people is that a lot of the players we're looking at have already been written up to where the club will be next season. That makes no sense. I presume that means we have a bunch of players on a short list that we've written up in terms of profiles on them and it's up to now the management team to go and have a look through those profiles and decide who they want to go look at. And it could also be that we have a bunch of players written up with the idea that we have a budget of this versus a budget of that. Yeah, possibly. Okay, there we go. Does that mean to you, we spoke about earlier on, Barry's a front runner then, clearly. He clearly is, isn't he? Let's be honest. Well, well but I think he is on the basis that he has been given, for all intents and purposes, yeah. the job. Okay, Cameron at KXMMYAFC. He wants us to know about the processes of renewing one's passport. I don't know if he's getting a bit ahead of himself here for a European tour or Cami's. Just not sure how he renews his passport. I don't know. It's it's relatively simple. <laughs> costs a fucking arm and a leg. But it does cost a lot of money these days. And you get yourself a nice, lovely blue passport made from various uh, European materials. Yeah, thankfully mine's has got quite a bit of time left to run on it. Um, Cami's obviously not going through the process of trying to register a foreign birth in the Irish states because that takes a lot fucking longer I'll have you know Cammy but get on it I think everyone should start if, you're, if your passport is looking to be out of date in the summertime uh, I'd maybe think about getting that renewed ladies and gents because you'll yeah. be sipping some you'll be sipping on some overpriced lukewarm European lager in a city that you never thought you'd visit before before you know it either that or you will do as dirty like they did years ago and they'll give us somewhere like fucking Aston Villa yeah yeah I know I know, I know. Aston Villa um, Birmingham fuck me what a grim away trip that would be for Europe wouldn't it it would still be tropical compared to Burnley anyway Scott Shields at Scott underscore Shields 88 McCrory into midfield for Killy and Rich oh we'll talk about this is the Killy stuff we'll come on that later on uh, Chris at Chris Lives or Lives one of the two. Chris, get in touch. Is it Chris Lives or Chris Lives? I, I want to know. Is it just me? Or is Scales a noticeably worse player now than he was in August slash September? I don't think he's reached those levels again. I think there's been fleeting moments here and there, but on a consistent basis. He's uh, dreadfully inconsistent, isn't he? That's the problem. He's a very inconsistent player. Um, against United off the bench and against Hearts, I thought he played well. Yeah. I'll uh, put it out there. I thought he played well in both those games. Agree. Uh, it's just... I think the thing with scales, 
I didn't appreciate how not old, but he's not as young as I, th- I thought he was. He's 24. So it feels like he should be kind of past the inconsistent, we can put this down to youth um, yeah. element. Um, he is, let's just play this. If the, if the, if there's an opportunity to sign him permanently, I would have a good, good long think about it. Yeah. Okay. Craig at Craig LG eight has a question about the Kamarat lineup as well. So we'll come up with that. Uh, Chidi at free Nikwale. Um, the fact that whichever one of you said that Miofsky would cause issues for St. Johnston's very handsy number four was proved right within five minutes. Well, I'm not going to lie. Gav and Graham, uh, Gav and myself did give each other a knowing glance. I think it's fair to say when we saw that happen. Don't say we told you so, but if you want to go ahead and call me the Oracle, <laughs> that's your decision. The wise man. <laughs> you just need to work on your Bolding. Working my New York, my my New York accent. Absolutely. Um, Andy McPherson at a McPherson AFC one. Andy, hope you're getting better after your recent issues. Do you really think that Barry gets the gig full time? We're kind of touching earlier on. I think if he finishes third, it's his. If we finish third, I I don't see how it cannot be his job. Martin Stone at Stonefish one (laughs) hundred. Love this, Martin. Wonderfully eloquent. Uh, Fit the fuck scan on with Baron. Not even on the. Not even on the squad yesterday. In the squad yesterday. No word on a new contract. Looks like a player that should have been brilliant for us. Has no future at the club and will leave, leave on a free. Um, so apparently he is injured. Um, Yet he featured for the Scottish under-21s. He, he, did, fe- the... he did, but to be fair, he did also... Um, so does Jay Horter, to be fair. right? So you can't read too much into that. right? Something could have happened in the interim period. I, I think there's just issues in play with Barron. Full stop. This is probably not the place to talk about it. There's, there's definitely been some chatter, I think, amongst... I, I think the head-turning thing about the new contract is probably a, 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 a play here. It's going to be disappointing, I think, if, if things peter out with Connor Barron the way that they appear to be. Because I think everyone looked at it last season and thought there was definitely a player in there and something that you could try and... A bit of a fulcrum, you could build a team around. Um, but yeah. I feel as though there's a number of elements that go into Connor Barron not being the kind of success that we hoped he would be in the summer. I think we looked at it and thought very much a player that you would build a team around. Obviously, he was injured in the summer and you know didn't have the kind of full preseason. Joins in later. In between that, we get the opportunity to bring in Leighton Clarkson. And truth be told, Leighton Clarkson is a better footballer than Connor Barron is. You can't pass up that kind of opportunity to have that kind of talent on your pitch. The two of them don't complement one each other, one another. No. And Leighton Clarkson has quite simply um, outperformed Connor Barron. And I suspect the the agent element is also a factor within the new contract. Perhaps um, the, the previous regime didn't see the merit of having Conor Barron in the team. I'm uh, not convinced either that Conor Barron has been helping himself in relation to his training. I would... It's speculation, but it, it appears that not all is right. It appears that he is um, looking uh, for a way out. And unfortunately, I think if he'd come in and had a season that was reminiscent of the six months we saw from him at the end of last year where he was like the one you know shining light in the team. You look at him going somewhere down the road, maybe even abroad, 
making a really good career. I, I, I worry that he could, like a lot of talented footballers, fall down the ladder and, you know, we'll be talking in 10 years' time about a talent that we had a lot of hope for, but just, you know, nothing came of it. Last one. David at... Is it David? No, David. All right. I was, I was on the radio with David yesterday. <laughs> Disappointed we didn't get a, a bespoke part done, but never mind. At Dichi, D-triple-E-C-I-E-E. Why does St. Johnson have a sign for a chorizo pie each of their concessions when clearly no such thing exists? Well, I don't know where you were at, David, but I had myself a steak and chorizo pie yesterday, so... But, but well, his point is that there's no chorizo pie. Well, there's no chorizo pie, but they certainly weren't advertising it just a chorizo pie in the main stand area, yes, that's for sure. Anyway, it could have been that there were no chorizo pies in the stand behind the goal that he might have been occupying. Was David the guy in front of you? That's what you're telling me is. I mean, if so, and I stand by it, you're a schmuck. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, shall we move on? Let's move on, yes. I enjoy those segments. It's not as though we have enough to talk about. Of course not, but, you know, fan interaction. That's what we're all it's, about, It's Gav. not as though these shows go on way too long anyway. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Kilmarnock, shall we? We have to. Said, said nobody. Ever. So, three games left to the split. The first of which sees the visit of Derek McInnes' Kilmarnock to Pataudry for the second time of this season. The Dons running out 4-1 winners in the end in that one. Let's not talk about the reverse fixture, a 2-1 defeat, as the Dons' season under Jim Goodwin continued to unravel at pace. The Dons looking to make it five wins in a row in the league for the first time since the start of the 2015-2016 season when we won our opening eight league games. That seems... I was going to say it seems scarcely believable, but then it also feels just about right. That the good old days of when... Uh... Paul Quinn scored against Celtic. It is, and then we went to Hearts and beat them and yeah. smashed them. Yeah. One of Nell McGinn's finest performances. And then we went up to Calathus and played Josh Parker. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, Kamarnik, without a win at Pataudry since September 2018, a 2-0 win for the visitors that afternoon. Mikey Devlin sent off after just three minutes in that one. Sounds about right. Indeed, Kamarnik with only... How is Mikey through- getting on at Hibs, by the way? I don't think he's had any minutes, is my answer to that question. Sounds about right. Kilmarnock, that's their only win in their last 15 visits to the Northeast. They've only had 23 wins at Pataudry in the league in total out of 112 games played between the sides of Pataudry. So that, that, is, that, is, that is spectacular. <laughs> that is suboptimal, I think, is the view. Look at that. Kilmarnock coming into this one off the back of a big win against Hearts on Saturday. Look at that. Andy Constantine, Derek McInnes doing Aberdeen a solid. It's just like 2016 all over again. A 2-1 win at Rugby Park for Kilmarnock that saw them stretch out a four-point gap to Ross County in 11th. Six points now away from United who remain bottom of the table. Speaking of which, remember when we were on the drive yesterday? This is a statistic that like, seriously blows my mind in a Danny Dyer fashion. That Dundee United at this point this season have less points than Dundee did at this point last season. And I went to check it today because I thought that can't be right because Dundee were really fucking bad last season. Well, that as well. They're 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 right in the mire of the Mark McGee era as well. And it, but I went and checked it. It is correct. United are on twenty two points this season at this point last season after thirty games. Dundee had twenty three. Oof, oof. I mean, it's not um, it's not irresistible force meets a movable object, is it? It's really not. Well, <laughs> well. No, not quite. Um, 
Kilmarnock, sorry, one win in the last five, two draws and two defeats in the league. Kilmarnock with, by far and away, the worst away record in the league. No wins out of their 15 games away from Ayrshire. Only two points gained, a draw at Motherwell in December and then a draw at St Mirren in October. The totality of their points on the road. Gav is just grimacing. And they've only scored six goals away from home. One of them came at Pataudry, um, conceding 32 away from home. Four of them came at Pataudry. They did indeed. Um, goals, <laughs> generally the biggest problem for Kilmarnock. I love I say this every week. Let's be honest, goals in any circumstance are generally the problem for teams, it would appear. Yeah. Kilmarnock, only 26 scored across the league campaign so far. That's the second lowest tally in the league. Only Ross County have scored fewer. That's 26 goals against an expected goals of just 30.2 across the season. They're also the second worst side in the league in terms of shots on target per match only averaging three per game. So, so what you really want as a manager is in January for your board to go ahead and sell <laughs> two of your strikers and not bring anyone else in. It's almost like Dave Cormack was just having a good old fucking laugh isn't it? and just gave Billy Bowie a wee nudge. Was like, go on. <laughs> he loved this when I did this to him at Pataudry. Go, go and try it one more time. Poor guy. Poor guy. Come on down, slow Canberry. Um <laughs> So... Not only are Kilmarnock struggling to create chances, they're also then struggling to convert any that come their way. Top scorer in the league is Danny Armstrong on seven. I must admit, I quite like Danny Armstrong. I think he looks a pretty decent player. He's one that I I agree. I thought he looked very good against us in the in the game at Rugby Park. And that's not a barometer. Well, I was going to say, like, in highlights, but that's, that's the kind of the thing, like, is he just a highlights kind of player? And maybe he's just completely anonymous, but he does seem to be carrying Kilmarnock in a major, major way from an attacking threat. Uh, I'd be I'd be intrigued. Well, I, he signed a new deal at Kilmarnock this season, so he was one of those I thought if Kilmarnock went down, I'd be like, I would I would think about looking at him, but um, probably... It's, it's Kilmarnock. We have the budget, though. <laughs> okay, anyway. We could give we could give Derek one of his favourites. Matty? Yeah, yeah, Matty Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dean Campbell, he loved Dean Campbell. Don't think Kamara fans like Dean Campbell that much. Sounds about right. Anyway, um, Danny Armstrong is seven. Joe Wright, I don't even know who that is. Um, Centre back. Is, he's not. Oh, Christ. Well, Oh, he scored against us, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there we go. He's got five, so he's their second top scorer. And Ash Taylor, the other centre half, has got four, who's the third top scorer. So, fuck me. Ooh, Armstrong, the real danger man for Kilmarnock as well. Five assists on top of his seven goals, so he's got 12 goal contributions this season. Up top, it was Deutsch and Vassell against Hearts, so I'm expecting they'll go same again, which means a couple of physical players from McDonald and Pollock to deal with, which I think is right up their street, to be fair. That's where they'll be looking. It's the kind of task these guys have relished so far. Yeah. Of their 26 goals, only 10 have come from open play. That's against an open goal, expected goals of just 16.11. 12 goals from set pieces with one own goal, two penalties and one free kick, making up the balance. Um, those 12 goals from set pieces make Kilmarnock the, the fourth best in the league from an attacking set plays perspective. So, you know, there we go. Defensively, of their 52 conceded, 30 have come from open play against an open goal, expected goals against 26.77. So you've got to be looking at the goalkeeper there, I think. 14 conceded from set plays is the highest tally in the league against a set play expected goals against of just 9.42. Aberdeen, of course, exploiting that in the home game against Kilmarnock early in the season. Anthony Stewart with his only goal for Aberdeen coming from a corner kick 
Achille with only five clean sheets all season. That's the second worst record in the league. In terms of style of play, we've all watched it for long enough, so it's pretty much what we'd expect from a Derek McInnes side. They're not exactly holding on the ball for long periods of time, averaging just 2.2 passes per sequence, which places them third lowest in the table in that metric. Only St Mirren and Livingston play fewer passes. They do move the ball at the park pretty quickly, 1.78 metres per second, only St Mirren are higher in the table of Kilmarnock than that. And they do look to make use of the wings. Unfortunately, they don't have Johnny Hayes or Niall McGinn in prime form. They average five accurate crosses per game. Uh, that places them fifth in the table in that metric, a success rate of 25.6%. Armstrong and Jordan Jones deployed in the wide area against Hearts. Ooh. I'd expect to see the same again. Not shy about putting in a tackle. Indeed, they lead the league in successful tackles per match, 10.2, a PPDA of 13.2, that's passes per defensive action, puts them sixth in the table in terms of pressing, so you're likely to see a bit of a mix of pressing and standing off. Gavin is yawning his fucking head off here like he's just watching a rerun of Aberdeen 1, St. Johnston 0. I would be very interested to see that breakdown in the PPDA against performances at Rugby Park versus those on the road because at Pataudry, I thought Kilmarnock were incredibly passive. It was unbelievable how much they just sat in. Zones of control, generally, like most teams in the league, again, we'll tweet it out later on. Kilmarnock are going to give up a lot of territory. You see on the graphic, that's Kilmarnock shooting from left to right. The blue squares are for Kilmarnock dominate possession or dominate territory. Red is where the opposition dominates. So, anyway, thoughts, Gav, predictions for the weekend. Jinx, well, it's not going to be the same lineup. From Barry Robson because we will be without Graham Ro- uh, with Graham Robson. Jesus, <laughs> this oh, it's one of these nights with Graham Shinny missing out. So how do we solve the? Do, do we still go three five two? Um, it has been Robson's preferred formation, and if we do, how do we solve the Graham Shinny conundrum that now creates itself? Um, I stick with the three five two. I appreciated the move to the kind of four one four one approach on Saturday during that little interval that we had time to to make that adjustment, make sure everyone knew what their role was because it made it made sense for us to be more attacking and we can still contain the, the one striker up front. But having three at the back has been a successful approach for us. We can see from those details there that Kilmarnock are successful from set pieces. By having the three at the back, we get that presence from uh, Scales, McDonald and uh, Pollock as well as Ross McCrory, so we can you know, stifle them there, which is obviously their kind of their their primary weapon. And I think there's a, a pretty easy solution for this game, especially to fix the the Graham Shinney absence. Somebody was asking, is it an opportunity for Mislovich to come in? He he has come off the bench in recent weeks for Barry Robson, which we'd barely seen him up until then. Came off the bench at the weekend. Um, I've seen a few people on Twitter saying that they feel that Mislovich just looks way off it. What do you think? Do you, do you go with that as an option? Uh, he is not who I'm thinking <laughs> for this solution. Um, you know, against um, against Hearts, I thought when we switched came on, I thought it looked pretty handy. Um, against Col- against St Johnston, uh, it, it, not not so much. Um, it's it's a lot like Darvel in that this we're at the business end of the season. It's a massive game. It's a game you could have a lot of time and a lot of space. Like you say, Kilmarnock have been quite passive, especially away from home. But it's it, it would be a gamble for me to put Mislovich in from the start. I think there's 
an experienced centre midfielder within our ranks and a pretty easy solution uh, of how to get him in there. So your solution is? It's quite simple. It's Ross McCrory. Like for like, get him in there. He's going to have the same kind of energy levels that Graham Shinney is going to bring to the team. Get up and down, cover every blade of grass. Give us another threat coming from midfield. Um, you put him with Ramadani in front of Leighton Clarkson and then, you know what? Let's get Jaden Richardson back in the team. It feels like a game to give him a. It feels like a game to give him a bit of a shout out because we should theoretically be on the front foot. Oh, I just I don't think as a club we can. When we spoke with Lee Scott, they knew what they were getting with Jaden Richardson, that he was not by any stretch of the imagination the the finished article. He came in, he had a rough time, and we just feels like we've just you know given up on him, and that seems unfair when you think of the number of chances that players at Aberdeen have got over the years despite their performances not being living up to uh, what you'd hope. It's a game where his pace feels like it could be a real asset. The setup we have right now allows for him to be, you know, a little bit more on the front foot to make use of his pace to pin Kilmarnock back, give space to some of our more creative players. And let's just see what he's got. Let's let's just you know, let's see. Do we is there a player that we can actually work with in the future? Or maybe we just confirm it that you know he's not up to it. But it feels like it feels like it's unfair to just outright say he's done. Because he's because he's delivered what we knew he was going to deliver. Yeah. Do you think though, right? Barry's a wee bit more pragmatic, I think. What I will say is that I don't think what I'm suggesting is going to happen. Okay, what do you I think? think will I think McCrory will go into midfield and Matty Kennedy. Will yeah, play I think right Kennedy back. will play right wing back. I think that's what's happened. Um, so come on, thoughts about the game itself? A must win again, obviously. Um, Hearts are at home to St Mirren on yep. Saturday. Um, not an easy fixture that one. Although Saints don't necessarily travel that well. It's all going a bit Pete Tong down Gorgie Way. I see that tonight they've been defacing the. Uh, the big club crest outside the main stand now with a big fuck off Nielsen. Been they love defacing it. that crest. They do. That is um, their go-to protest. I know the joke's been made a few times already online, but clearly the cost of living crisis is hitting the the, the plane message industry here because they can't afford to go and do that. So they're just defacing the badge instead. We saw Stephen Robertson and his submarine side come and really do a number on us when we were under pressure after Jim Goodwin was sacked. I helped in no small part by the referee that evening with the sending off of Ross McCrory. But of all the teams in the league to face when you're under that sort of pressure, St. Minner are probably right down, well, right up there in the teams you probably don't want to be visiting Tynecastle, I think it's fair to say. They'll relish the opportunity to go there and absolutely just shithouse their way to to points, won't they? Well, I mean, also, jokes aside, it puts St. Minner in the mix if they can get that win. Well, this is also true, yeah. I, I kind of forget that actually St. Minner are where they're at. So you know it's 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 doubly important. So of course yeah, they'll I'll want to. Put them a point behind. <laughs> of course they'll want to, you know, just go ahead and get the win at Tynecastle because that's always a scalp. But like I say, it it really does put them in the mix as far as even third place goes. Um, and I don't think that you can tell that the hearts, the support are getting extremely restless with with Robbie Nielsen. Um, we heard it on the. On the phone in on Sports Sound on the way back up from from Johnson, you saw it at Pataudry in the wake. It's yeah, there's there's an opportunity there that I think that St. Mirren could go and do a number on on Hearts. But the big thing, as always, 
is that we have to take care of our own business. And Kilmarnock, it's listen, it's a, a surprising but still a very good result against Hearts, aided by the fact that Xander Clark has done his bit to confirm for all and sundry that it was the right decision to make Angus Gunn the Scotland number one because he has had an absolute mare at the weekend at Rugby Park. Well, he also wore proper studs on AstroTurf, so he, I saw he got injured, but to be fair, kind of deserves it for doing that. What a jabroni. <laughs> um, when, it comes, when it comes to Kilmarnock, I, I'm honestly surprised at how bad they've been this season. On the road. At home, they've been really good. Yeah, on, on the road, yeah, absolutely. But I honestly thought they'd be comfortable in the league this year. Um, I just thought McInnes bringing what he brings to the league would be able to make them a lot more difficult to beat. But we saw it at Pataudry and their, their away form has been nothing short of atrocious. As you say, they've not won a single game in the league. And of course, McKenzie will be, will be missing. Um, he got sent off against Hearts. I, was Ash Taylor playing at the weekend? I Ash Taylor came off the bench for the last couple of minutes. I don't know. If, I don't know if he was injured or. Yeah, it seems like seems like he's kind of fallen out of favour a little bit there. Um, but I'm sure he'll come in and probably get his token goal from them. But I, I believe that we're in we're in a really good place right now as a team. We've got the stability. It's an opportunity for us to go on and take the game to a team that, like I say, are, are not great from the defensive perspective. I think being back at Dodger will help our more technical players excel I just think we've got way too much for Kilmarnock so I'm very very confident that it's going to be we've completed phase one of the three game plan by beating St Johnston now it's all about beating Kilmarnock at the home of football sounded confident Gav coming in predictions for Saturday the cinch returns to Pataudry huge game huge huge game um, like I say you know what actually fuck it because we've been I know that the defense set pieces are there Forte, but we're a significantly better team defending uh, set pieces now. So we're going to keep a clean sheet. 4 0 Aberdeen. Oof. Miofsky to get a couple of goals, get himself back on the goal trail. Duke's going to get one, and we're going to get one from, we're going to get a proper Angus McDonald goal. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. I, I, I'm going to go with you. I think um, I'm going to say, I'm going to agree. Aberdeen 4, Kamarnik 0, but I reckon we're going to. Blitz them with set pieces all over the place. So Matty Pollock will add to his tally. Angus McDonald will get one. Duke will be a late arriving uh, corner kick, and uh, we'll get one more through. I don't know a Patrick Mislovich free kick. Why not? There we go. Four in Aberdeen. Hearts will get beat by St Mirren. The Dons will jump up into third. Robbie Nielsen will be under all sorts of pressure, but he'll still remain in situ. And it's going to be an amazing run into the to the back end of the season. That's where I'm going with this one. And then we move on to the clash of the titans between Dungeonhead and Hibs on the Sunday. Ooh, lovely stuff. There we go. Right, there we go, Gav. Is that us? That'll do for another week. Sounds good to me. That wraps up this week's episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you might do on your podcast, the player of choice. Join us next week for episode 98, where we will review Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock Apatology, and we will preview our trip to the Highlands to face big, mad, racist Malky Mackay's Dross County Friday night, live on Sky. Maybe an interview next week, Gav? What do you think? The fans voted for it. They wanted it. Who did they want in the end? They want Craig Hignett. Craig Hignett. So Craig Hignett they shall have. 
if everyone's good. Okay, if you're all well-behaved children, you can get Craig Kignett. That's what's going to happen. And maybe, ooh, maybe this week, something sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> Join us next week. We'll see you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!